Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about best practices for food shopping and for cooking. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steven Nett as a patient at his office. Hey, Steve. Hey, Ron. Good evening. Good evening to you, too. Although here it's not quite evening, it looks like it, but it's, you know, just five o'clock. So that's sort of evening. Anyway, what we're going to talk about today is appropriate for the holidays and actually for after the holidays because it has to do with healthy eating uh, based on proper cooking and shopping. And during the, by the time that this plays, which will be either on Christmas Day or the day after, people have already done their Christmas dining, and they'll be kind of shifting off of that gradually. So we're going to be approaching this more in a healthy approach. So let's get into some cooking stuff. But before we get into that, we're going to look at shopping because what you eat depends on what you cook. What you cook depends on what you buy when you're shopping for food. So then we're going to start on shopping practices. What are the best practices for food shopping? All right. Well, I have a list of things here, which includes using a list when you go shopping. So let's start with that one. Okay. You know, using a list is the best way to ensure that you won't forget something. And, you know, you can either write it down, you know, what you need on a piece of paper or type it on a smartphone app. Or what I found is helpful is write down what I need on a piece of paper and then take a picture of it on my smartphone and use that picture and walk around with that. That way I won't lose the piece of paper, which I've done before. Right. Also, organizing what you put on your list based on product type will also allow you to get in and get out of the store in record time. So next up is the best time to actually shop. Mm -hmm. The worst time is the busiest time, which happens to be Sunday afternoons. Now, now I know everyone's schedules are different and not everyone can pick and choose the best times to go out. Uh, But in general, the lightest traffic times are first thing in the morning, late in the evening, and during the week. So for example, I found that the best time to go shopping at Trader Joe's is between 8 and 9 p.m. since it's you know easy to get parking there and the lines are nothing like they are during the peak hours of the day. Right. I'll interject yeah, there go ahead. too. I've been told by some of the people that work at Trader Joe's that their two busiest days are always Sunday and Monday. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. All right. Well, the next one's really important. That is to try to avoid shopping when you're hungry. So shopping while you're hungry can definitely increase how much you spend since you'll have a tendency to buy items that you don't need, including unhealthy snacks. So it's wise to go shopping after a meal or after eating a snack. 
Another important tip is to try to purchase the majority of your food from the periphery of the store and very little from the middle aisles, which normally you know, contain box and canned foods that are processed, pre preserved, and loaded with sugar and food additives. Now, here's one that's especially important in our warm climates, and that is if you plan on having a lengthy shopping trip, then wait until the end to grab foods that can spoil like meat, fish, and dairy, or foods that can melt like ice cream. So basically, you start in the produce section or the inner aisles and finish in the meat, dairy, fish, and frozen food sections. Okay. You know, another thing is, you know, if you're buying foods that can spoil or melt quickly and have to make another stop on the way home, then make sure you at least bring insulated zipper bags or better yet, a cooler to safeguard your items. Now, when it comes to produce, always grab the ones on the back of the shelf because they always stock new inventory behind older items. You can also do this with dairy, meat, and eggs by comparing the expiration dates of the ones in the back of the shelf versus the ones in the front. Right. And another pointer regarding produce is that it's best not to buy fruits and vegetables in the middle of the day because produce shipments typically arrive at local grocers in the morning when the store opens or later in the evening when the store prepares to close. So you'll typically get fresher produce during those times. Except avocados, because if you get them after they've been sitting out for a while, you have a better chance of getting some that are ripe or almost ripe rather than the ones that are like hard like golf balls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely a good exception to that rule. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's also a few smart strategic things that you can that have less to do with the type and quality of food and more to do with shopping etiquette, saving time, and being more environmentally friendly. So what I found to be very helpful to the bagger when you're in line at the grocery store is to place your items in an orderly fashion the way you want them to be bagged. So if you start with heavier items like jars and cans, then they can be bagged and put in the cart first. And, you know, if you have a huge load, then you can actually stack other item, items on top of them. Uh, boxed items should go together, as should, you know, produce, meats, and dairy, and also frozen items. And what's also good about this is that when you unpack them at home, they'll also be arranged easier for putting them away. Uh, another bit of advice having to do with bagging is to bring your own reusable bags with you, like, you know, we just talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, you tend to see this more often these days, especially at places like health food stores, since more people are environmentally aware of the need to reduce the use of plastic bags. Right. And another thing, yeah, and another thing that can save you more time is if you just have a few items, the self-checkout lines are the, definitely the way to go. However, if you have a full cart then it's best to go to a regular line with a clerk that scans them for you because on average, it will actually take you twice as long to scan and bag all of your items. And obviously, if the regular lines are super full, then, you know, if you can get a self-checkout line, that would be a better option. Exactly. I prefer doing the self-checkout line and I could probably beat almost any professional bagger. They'll have to have some type of a sports or games, you know, the international bagging scanning game or something like that. I'll go right for it. Now, another important food shopping best practice is reading labels. Why is that? Well, for a number of reasons, you know, obviously you should read labels to make sure that the food you're buying has the ingredients that you're looking for. 
Uh, you also read labels to make better health choices. Uh, they can tell you how much of the three macronutrients are contained in that product, you know, how much protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Uh, so if you're on a restricted diet that allots specific amounts of each of these, you can definitely, you know, read the labels and, and find that out quickly. You should also look at how much sugar is present in one serving, especially if you have sugar handling issues like prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, or diabetes. And it's also good to look at the micronutrient content, which includes vitamins and minerals to see how much of these you're getting. But perhaps the most important thing when reading labels is to make sure that it doesn't contain health destroyers, which I'll go over in more detail in a little bit. Okay. Well, now let's take a look at some food label tricks that people need to be aware of that will be adverse to their health. Because even though there are certain things that are required for labeling food, we already know that GMO food isn't required to be presented as GMO food. No matter what people think, that isn't a requirement on the labeling. But there's also these little tricks that get pulled by the food companies to make people think that they're eating something better than they are. So what are some of those that people should watch out for? Well, food manufacturers are just really slick and they have a lot of leeway with certain words and phrases when it comes to food labeling. So I'm going to go over some of these. Okay. Yeah. The one I see a lot that means absolutely nothing is the words all natural. Mm -hmm. uh, food manufacturers won't get in trouble as long as these labeled foods don't contain things like added colors, artificial flavors, or synthetic substances. You know, it just gives you the impression that the product is healthy, but it it's a meaningless term. It means right. nothing. Right. Next up is no sugar added. Diabetics especially can fall for this since they're supposed to avoid foods high in sugar. So even though some foods may not have any sugar added to them, they can still have tons of naturally occurring sugar present. A great example is apple juice, which is loaded with natural fruit, fruit sugar or fructose, as mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And then there's foods that contain a label sugar-free, which can also be troublesome. They can either contain artificial sweeteners, which are health destroyers that we'll talk about more in just a little bit, or sugar alcohols, which contain half the amount of calories per serving than sugar, and they include erythritol, mannitol, xylitol, and sorbitol. Then you have these foods that include the label no cholesterol, and they're typically loaded with unhealthy omega-6 fats. So to find out more about omega fatty acids, check out our podcast episode number 18. Foods that contain zero or no trans fats can actually contain less than 0.5 grams of trans fats per serving. So if a person has several servings, they can still be getting a pretty good amount of trans fats. Mm. In addition, they also usually contain mostly bad omega-6 fats. Now, another one is fat-free, which is also misleading, especially for dieters, because these foods at the same time can be loaded with sugar, which causes the body to actually store more fat than dietary fat does in the first place. Great. Uh, yeah. Then there's the term free range, which is another slick phrase that food manufacturers like to use that sounds great, but it's also open to interpretation because it sounds like you've got chickens running around outside allowed to roam freely. But the truth is that there are no requirements from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for the amount, duration, and quality of outdoor access. 
So all it basically means is that they have had some exposure to the outdoors. And unless it also says organic and pasture raised, then they not only may have spent the majority of their time in a warehouse or in, out, or in indoor cages, but they may have been fed GMO grains or ate insects that were sprayed with insecticides. Now, if you're purchasing poultry or beef and the label says fed and all vegetarian diet, then you definitely want to put that one back. The reason is, is chickens are not grain eaters, but instead insectivores, which means that they feed on insects. So chicken and eggs should ideally say organic and pasture raised on the label. Cows also do not naturally eat grains, but instead graze on grass. So choose beef that is organic and grass-fed and grass-finished, and that's the best way to go there. Now, another one to be wary of is made with real fruit. This one also allows a lot of leeway because it may not contain much fruit at all or none of the type that's pictured on the box. Right. Yeah, see, the second scenario got the company called Fruit Roll-Ups in big trouble because a California woman in 2012 filed a class action suit against them because their strawberry sensation product showed the roll-ups and strawberries on the front of the box. But instead of strawberries, it contained pears from concentrate. (laughs) Now, big food and big pharma love it when the phrase heart healthy is used on packaged foods. One of the products certified by the FDA as heart healthy is, of all things, Fruit Loops. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) But would you believe avocado, salmon, and nuts are not considered by them as heart healthy? Wow. Even though they they really are. (laughs) Wow. And then finally, yeah, and then finally, one of the most despicable labels is the one that says all organic ingredients. This one really ticks me off because the toxic heavy metal arsenic is considered organic. It's legal to feed to so-called organic chickens. Plus, GMO crops, if raised organically can also be labeled organic. So that's why you need to look for either the USDA certified organic label on them, which carries the standard that they cannot intentionally include any GMO ingredients, or you can look for the non-GMO project verified seal. That's fairly good information. It's good to know because a lot of these things Mm -hmm. will throw people off. They'll think they're getting one thing and they're getting something else. My favorite one, I think, though, is that package of jelly beans that say gluten-free on them. It's like, of course they are. It's just a bunch of sugar and gelatin. (laughs) There's no gluten in either of those. Doesn't mean it's good for you. Anyway, so now what are the most important ingredients that people should try to avoid when they're buying packaged foods? Uh, You know, there's lots of top 10 lists on the internet for the most toxic ingredients in packaged foods, but I'm going to give you mine in no particular order. Okay. Now, most, yeah, so most health experts agree that one of the biggest health destroyers in packaged foods is high fructose corn syrup. So you want to avoid that one like the plague. Uh, Many conscious food manufacturers are now using healthier alternatives and are putting the words no high fructose corn syrup on the front of their labels. Mm -hmm. I've seen it on, on ketchup now. Right. Uh, high fructose, yeah, high fructose corn syrup is really bad because it can increase bad cholesterol levels and also lead to diabetes. 
another health destroyer at the top of the list is trans fats like hydrogenated fats or partially hydrogenated fats, which can increase the body's bad cholesterol and decrease the good cholesterol and can also increase the risk of heart disease, diabetes, and many other health problems. So you definitely want to avoid foods containing these too. Right. Yeah. Palm, corn, and soybean oil, as well as shortening, are common sources of trans fats. Now, MSG or any of its various additional names should also be avoided. There's, there's literally dozens of ingredients that contain MSG, and you can find these by searching MSG names list on your search engine. I was buying something the other day, and I noticed it said modified food starch, I think is one of the names that they use for MSG. Yep. As well as hydrolyzed vegetable protein. And I mean, just right. the list goes on and on. So the people need to, you know, look that up and see all the different MSG ingredients. Now, artificial sweeteners are also no-nos for many reasons. You know, we dedicated an entire podcast to these, episode number 12. And these include aspartame, which is also known as equal and NutraSweet, saccharin, also known as sweet and low, sucralose, also known as Splenda, and acesulfame potassium, also known as ACE-K. Artificial colors, including red number 40, yellow number 6, and blues number 1 and 2, have been linked to ADHD, DNA chromosome damage, thyroid cancer, and many other conditions. Uh, the preservatives sodium nitrite and sodium nitrate, which are commonly found in lunch meats and hot dogs, have been found to cause cancer and are harmful to the liver and pancreas. Uh, the preservatives BHA and BHT, which show up in cereals, chewing gum, and potato chips, can throw off the body's hormones and produce cancer-causing chemicals too. Canola oil. This one really bothers me because health food stores like Whole Foods and Nature's Food Patch have tons of packaged foods loaded with canola oil. I know. Again, if you go back, yeah, if you go back to podcast number 18 on omega fatty acids, you'll get the entire verdict on canola oil and it's not good. Mm -mm. Over 90% of it today is GMO. It's processed with an alarming number of chemicals and bleaches. It's often partially hydrogenated, which increases the health destroying trans fats. And it has an unhealthy ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids, which can significantly increase inflammation in the body. Now, over 90% of the soy and corn grown in the United States is GMO and likely has residues of the herbicide chemical called glyphosate in it, which has been linked to cancer and many other health conditions. So avoiding packaged foods containing corn and soy, uh, unless it states that it's organic or non-GMO, is a wise practice. Right. And then finally, we come to wheat. This not only contains gluten, which is a very bad pro-inflammatory protein called lectin, but also wheat germ agglutinin, which is an even nastier lectin that can really do some serious inflammation damage in the body. All right, good. So that's a good list for people to pay attention to and avoid, or I should say, look out for on labels when they're shopping. Now, what foods does somebody want to get organic, meaning never buy it inorganic? I don't know if inorganic is quite the right term, but not organic. 
So what foods should they always buy organic and which foods can somebody safely buy non-organic if there isn't an organic version available? All right. Well, let's start with the list that I've recommended several times on previous podcasts, and that is the Environmental Working Group's Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen. Uh, the Clean 15 is foods that typically contain little to no levels of pesticides in them, whereas the Dirty Dozen is foods that likely contain high pesticide levels. Now, I'm not going to list either of these because you can either find them on the link that we'll leave for them in our podcast notes. Or you can download for free the app from the environmental working group called The Dirty Dozen, which contains both lists. Great. Yeah. So in addition, your meat and fish sources should also be organic. Beef should preferably be grass-fed and grass-finished as well as organic. And poultry, which includes chicken, Cornish hens, turkey, and even eggs, should be organic and pasture-raised. If it just says cage-free, that doesn't cut it. And again, definitely avoid grain-fed. Now, fish, shrimp, and other forms of seafood need to be wild-harvested, not farm-raised. The most at-risk foods containing GMOs that you should avoid include corn, soy, canola, alfalfa, papaya, and sugar from sugar beets. And, you know, we learned in the GMO podcast that popcorn is safe to buy, even if it doesn't say non-GMO or organic, since no popcorn is GMO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, for more tips on avoiding GMOs, refer to our GMO podcast, which is episode number 97. Excellent. And one other thing with fish is if it doesn't say wild harvested, it might say wild caught, which is also acceptable. That is true. Now, after shopping, because that's what we've been talking about so far, you have cooking. So first thing is making sure that you're shopping properly, because like you've outlined very carefully and thoroughly, there's a lot of different traps in all those packaged foods that you have on the shelves. So now that somebody's done proper shopping, then they're going to be preparing the food. So I know that cooking is something that you enjoy doing. Now, what are some of the food preparation tips that you can give people to avoid serious problems like salmonella and E. coli? All right. Well, you know, I've got a list here of some really effective common sense tips to avoid bacteria contamination from food. Okay. So, to, yeah, to start off, you should always wash your hands, the dishes, the utensils, and the counter surfaces often while preparing and cooking all foods. When preparing or cooking raw meats, poultry, or other foods, you should use hot soapy water to clean surfaces and your hands, and then instead of using regular hand towels, use paper towels and then discard them immediately. Right. Never use the same plate, tray, or utensils for the cooked meat that you used for the raw meat unless you take the time to thoroughly wash them with hot soapy water. Right. Well, yeah, it's also wise to separate raw meat, poultry, and seafood from other foods in your refrigerator. And you should always aim to cook all foods thoroughly. Meats, poultry, pork, and especially ground meats should be cooked until the juices run absolutely clear. Now, I'll discuss some exceptions to fully cooking certain meats in just a second. Okay. So you talked about fully cooking meats. One of the ways to tell besides the color of the juices is the temperature, especially you know, it's especially important for poultry. 
Now, when you cook, do you always measure the temperature of the meat when you're cooking it? I do, but you know, it's not always mandatory since some meats like beef and lamb are perfectly fine when eaten on the rare side. But you know, pork and veal need to be at least medium rare. And of course, chicken and turkey absolutely must be fully cooked, which means that they need to have an internal temperature of at least 165 degrees. Now, to get the perfect temperature for whatever cut of meat you're going to eat, using an instant thermometer is definitely the way to go. I purchased one on Amazon last year that I absolutely love. I still love it. Mm -hmm. You remember I showed it to you. I remember. It's great. It's really cool. And, I, and it's still like my favorite. So the one that I have is the Thermapro TP20, which is actually two devices. Uh, one is a digital thermometer that directly measures the temperature of the meat and includes two probes so you can monitor two different cuts of meat or fish at the same time. Wow. Yeah. And the other one is a wireless remote digital display that not only shows the temperatures of the meats, but also allows you to preset your preferred end temperature for nine different types of meat and their various doneness levels recommended by the USDA. And this remote can be up to 300 feet away from the stove or grill. So, you know, when your steak or chicken or fish is done, the remote will beep and you can go back to the grill or stove to check on it and remove it when it's done, which basically eliminates any guesswork and the possibility of overcooking it. That's great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, one of the other things that I know you like to do is use your pressure cooker. In fact, you did that to cook a turkey the day after Thanksgiving. What are the advantages of using a pressure cooker? Well, there's actually quite a few. So I have one of the top rated ones and definitely one of the larger ones, and it's called the Power Pressure Cooker XL. Uh, this bad boy is large enough to cook a 10-pound plus turkey in it, which I now do every Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, in general, pressure cookers are great because, you know, you save time when preparing meals because foods cook up to 70% faster in them. I'm, I'm able to cook a whole turkey in 45 minutes to an hour. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. Uh, shorter cooking times also allow foods to retain most of their nutrients and they're tastier as a result of that. And since they're far more efficient than using multiple pots for longer periods of time on separate burners on the stove, they save on energy, which can reduce your electric bill. Uh, in addition, even though they emit a little bit of steam for a short time when releasing the pressure when the meal is fully cooked, they retain all the heat and steam during the entire cooking time, which prevents the kitchen from heating up, which commonly occurs with oven and stovetop cooking. And there's also less cleanup involved since pots and pans tend to leave cooking residues, including oils on the stovetop and control panel, as well as on adjacent surfaces such as walls and counters. A pressure cooker, on the other hand, has a super secured lid that leaves any splashes or, or splatters, any splashes or splatters from escaping it. And this obviously also prevents any water from boiling over, which could also require more cleanup. Plus, after everything's done, there's only one pot to wash. Pressure cookers can also be used to preserve food in cans. Now, this isn't something I've tried yet, but would like to learn how to do in the future. And one final very important point, and I'm referencing this from the plant paradox, and that is, you know, they can be used to eliminate the pro-inflammatory lectins, which I spoke about earlier from, you know, many foods. 
especially produce that contains tons of lectins in the skins and seeds like tomatoes and cucumbers. However, according to Dr. Gundry, the only lectin that can't be neutralized from using a pressure cooker is gluten. So that means wheat, rye, barley, and oats won't be affected by using a pressure cooker. Yeah. So if somebody wants to cook beans or if they want to cook, cook lentils or something like that, tomatoes, those all have lectins and this would help get rid of them. That's and right. this is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of the slow cooker crock pot where you put the food in in the morning and it cooks all day and it's ready in the evening. I mean, the good thing about that is for certain types of meat comes out very, very tender but with the pressure cooker, it cooks faster, and that comes in handy in certain circumstances too. Now, That's right. when you're dealing with meats, sometimes you want to prepare some sauces or marinades. What are some healthy tips for people about preparing those? Well, I would say the most important tip about these is to read the labels because they're notorious for containing large amounts of sugar, especially high fructose corn syrup, as well as non-GMO soy sauce. So, you, you know, you'll have, a, you'll have better luck finding healthy ones at places like Whole Foods, Fresh Market, Sprouts, and local health food stores like Nature's Food Patch right next to my office. Um, I happen to have three that I picked out from some of these places. And I've got one. It's by Terrapin Ridge Farms. It's tropical tequila sauce with mango, coconut, and pineapple. So this one goes really, really good on chicken. Uh, I got another one that's called Gaucho Ranch Chimichurri. It's a marinade, condiment, and dipping sauce, and it contains parsley, garlic, rosemary, and oregano. And then this one is Spicy Marinade and Cooking Sauce, the new primal. It's made with coconut aminos, and it has no refined sugar and is gluten-free. Great. So, yeah, these are, it has apple cider vinegar and it's really good stuff. So there are some pretty healthy ones out there if you really look. You can also make your own sauces and marinades from just a few ingredients. For example, the American Heart Association recommends a simple heart healthy marinade for poultry, fish, or vegetables. And this is composed of three tablespoons of low sodium soy sauce. I would actually substitute Bragg's liquid aminos for that. Mm -hmm. Two teaspoons of vinegar and three minced garlic cloves. And then after combining these, you slowly whisk in one teaspoon of olive oil until everything is fully combined. You then transfer this to a zip top plastic bag with your food and have it soak in the refrigerator for at least two hours or overnight. For fish, you only have to soak the combination in the refrigerator for up to one hour before cooking. Okay. Right, those are good tips. Now, do you have any other recommended best practices for cooking? Yes, I have a couple more pointers. Uh, first of all, about a year ago in December of 2018, the FDA issued a report warning that 17% of the avocados that they tested contained a bacteria on the skin called Listeria monocytogenes. This species of bacteria can cause serious problems for pregnant women, older adults, and people with weakened immune systems. It's also been blamed for some previous contamination incidents of several food items, including ready-to-eat salads that were sold at Trader Joe's. Wow. Yeah. And this applies to all avocados, whether they're non-organic or organic. 
even though the bacteria is living on the outside skin of the avocado, it can be transferred to the fleshy part that you eat by just cutting into the avocado with a knife. So the way to reduce the risk from this occurring is to thoroughly wash the avocado under running water before cutting into it. And to really be certain, you can take this step of, you know, a bit further by firmly scrubbing the skin of the avocado. And you can also do this with uh, other similar fruits and vegetables like melons and cucumber. Uh, and you do it with a produce brush, and then you dry it with a clean cloth or paper towel before cutting into it and consuming it. It's good to know. Mm -hmm. Another smart practice that I recommend is to use a veggie spray wash when cleaning your fruits and vegetables. And the one I've always used is called natural veggie wash. And it's the one that has pictures of fruits and vegetables on the label. You've seen right. that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, again, it doesn't matter if you're cleaning non-organic or organic fruits and vegetables. You know, this spray contains natural and organic citrus solvents that can remove unwanted residues such as wax, soil, and agricultural chemicals from all produce. Very good. Now, is there anything else you'd like to say before we end? Yeah, you know, since we were on cooking uh, and so forth, I thought it would be fun to give away my favorite side dish recipe. Okay. So that's the multi-fruit coleslaw dish. Right. Had. Okay, good. I thought I'd, uh, you know, share this recipe with everybody. It's, it's really easy. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm telling you, if you take this to a party, it'll be the hit and everybody will want the recipe. And it's so yummy that even kids just down this like it's dessert. All right. And of course, you'll have to share it so we can put it in the podcast notes too. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it on a Word document. Yeah. All right. So you start with a bag of a shredded coleslaw mix. And you can get this anywhere. You can get it at Walmart, Publix, any grocery store. What you then look for is a can of pineapple tidbits, an eight ounce can. So if they don't have pineapple tidbits, then you can use crushed pineapple. And you want to get it in juice, not syrup. Then find a nice large Granny Smith apple. That's the green one. You also want to get a small can of mandarin oranges and a bag of shredded coconut. Uh, in addition, get yourself a bag of dried cranberries, like Ocean Spray. Uh, you'll need some light mayonnaise, some apple cider vinegar, and you're going to also use some of the pineapple juice from the pineapple tidbits. So the way you do this is you're going to drain the pineapple and save uh, three tablespoons of it in a small mixing bowl. Uh, you're going to cut the apple into small cubes. And then in a large bowl, you're going to combine the coleslaw mix, the pineapple tidbits that have been drained, the cubed apple, the mandarin oranges, which have also been drained, uh, some of the coconut, uh, about three-fourths of a cup to a cup of cranberries, dried cranberries, and then mix them up real good. In the small mixing bowl, you're going to blend together one cup of mayonnaise, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and the three tablespoons of the reserved pineapple juice. Then you just simply pour that mixture over the coleslaw mixture and toss it a little bit, cover it, put it in the fridge for two to four hours, and then you're good to go. I mean, it's easy peasy, and I'm telling you, it is awesome. It's delicious. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that with us. And 
and for all the information about the best practices for both shopping and cooking. Because as people get past the holiday and into the new year, they're going to want to be doing things to improve their health and reduce their weight. We're going to have an episode coming up in January with one of the trainers from the gym that you go to to go into more about exercise to help with that. And for our next episode, which is going to be the first one for 2020, we're going to be talking about something that's very close to your heart or maybe your groin having to do with sports hernias and Odell Beckham Jr. So that is going to be the next episode, our New Year's episode. We'll talk then. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.